This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com. From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Adam, how you doing? Man, I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Excited for what we're talking about today. Yeah. So uh, thank you everyone for tuning back in. Uh, this is the Keep It Simple podcast with Adam Morris and Joey Bodinger and then Renee Bingham behind the camera, our producer. But yeah, so today we're, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit more on the behavioral side of things, behavioral finance topics. Uh, and it's really going to be kind of going over some of the lessons that we pulled from or really interesting things we found in Morgan Housel's new book, uh, Same as Ever. So far, I haven't finished it, but so far it's been an incredible book. Yeah. Um, Adam, what do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Um, you guys might remember we did a couple episodes reviewing Morgan's prior book that kind of put him on the map, which was The Psychology of Money. Mm-hmm. Um, this is his follow-up to that. And this is, it, it's in the same vein in the, in the sense that it's it's relatively high level. Yeah. Um, he doesn't drag you to the depths of yeah. like, you know, financial theory or investment theory or markets or anything like that. It's much more, I, I think the much more impactful stuff, the stuff that applies to everybody, regardless mm-hmm. of how much you're investing or how long you've been investing. It's it's the it's the getting a hold of things up here yeah. um, and way, ways to think about concepts that impact investing that I think could make a big difference. So I, I really think it's just a good, interesting book to read, whether you're thinking about it through the lens of investing or not, yeah. Uh, but it certainly it, it takes that tact, and I'm I'm only five chapters in, but it's been really really good. Yeah, it's an yeah. easy read too. It is an easy read, which is something that I really appreciate. Is that he, he just puts it in words that are very uh, relatable and consumable, mm-hmm. right? It's like you said, he's not going to go into investment theory, but it's just like things that you're like, yeah, I feel like I knew that, but I never put it to words, and now that I read it, it's like. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I agree. Um, and so, it's not it's not overly structured. He kind of yeah. each chapter is just kind of a, a different concept. And yeah, you can really kinda, pick and choose which. Yeah, you, you can just kind of jump in and, and pick out yeah. whatever is interesting to you. So, um, if, if if it sounds interesting, if it's something that you would like to read, I strongly suggest. I don't think you'd be disappointed. It's a quick read too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just going to kind of we've kind of picked out our our favorite maybe the ways that he contextualizes things. Mm-hmm. Some of the, our favorite concepts. We're just going to kind of run through them, and yeah. hopefully they're valuable to you and something sticks. Yeah. And well, and we'll, I mean, this is an investing podcast, so we're going to connect it to investing, of course. But absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, just to to kick it off, one of the first things in the book that I really love, and I mean, it's it's in the title, same as ever, but it just talks about. Uh, I think it uses a story from Jeff Bezos. He said yeah. people ask me all the time what what's going to change, and he's like, I don't know what's going to change, but I can tell you what's going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And that is super. I thought that was super interesting because I think as as advisors, we hear all the time, what do you think the market's going to do? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think about this aspect? What do you think about this ingredient that goes into the price of a, of a stock or a fund? It's like, I don't know. But I do know that markets over time are going to go up, right? I believe in the ingenuity of the United States. I believe in the passion of people, which drives ingenuity. The uh, creativity. The creativity, people. which is what increases uh, stock prices mm-hmm. and increases profitability, things like that. So it's like, I, I have the utmost confidence that that is not going to change. And, but that's the question that no one asks. It's right. like, what's going to stay the same, right? Because right? it's, let's be honest, it's not like the most fun, sexiest question, mm-hmm. right? It's also not the the most interesting answer either because they're like, well, yeah, of course it's going to stay that way. Yeah. In the context of like, if we were to look at it through the lens of a client conversation that we would mm-hmm. have on an average day, I think when people struggle, it's when they're aiming at the wrong thing. 
So oh, yeah. the, the the Jeff Bezos comment, which I, I agreed, I thought was was brilliant. I, I I think I'd maybe heard it before, but I'd definitely forgotten about it. You know, they were asking him, what, what do you think is going to change in, in the environment? What do you think you're going to have to react to or adjust to, right? Because that's that's what excites us. We we want to think of these guys, whether it's Bezos or or Musk or whoever, these you know, once in a generation people with such dynamic minds, they can read the lay of the land and, and fit, you know, mm. navigate perfectly and build these behemoths. And really what he said was, look, what I know is that people are always going to want the fastest possible delivery time at the mm. lowest possible fee, mm-hmm. the lowest possible cost. So if I can have as low cost as possible and really fast delivery times, if I aim for that target and I'm able to achieve it or get closer to it, chances are I'll be in a good position to monetize that. Yeah. That's brilliant, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it it's... It, now, if we want to take that to investing as investors ourselves, what he's done is he set for himself a goal that's not going to move. Mm-hmm. Like that target, at least it shouldn't move, right? Yeah. People will always want those things. As investors, it's helpful to try to find similar targets, right? What are mm-hmm. the things about markets that we know aren't going to change? To bring it down to like the lowest possible level, the biggest mistake you can make is basing your decisions based off your account value, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the definition of a moving target. Markets move. They move up and because they move up, they move down. So if you're basing your emotions or your head state or whatever whatever you think is true about your portfolio and markets if you're if you're changing those things based off of what the value of your investments are today that's a red flag you, mm-hmm. you need to be looking further out you need to be looking at something that's that's underlying that volatility right so for us that could be and you, you could do that at any level like you said we know macro macro level markets tend to go up over time right mm-hmm. that's definitely true dive in a little bit deeper what do value stocks tend to do in volatility versus growth stocks or what do like we build this into to credit ratings for bonds all the time mm-hmm. right like we know that we can evaluate certain entities that have certain profiles that over time tend to be more credit worthy than others that's why we have you know, in uh, ratings of triple A, double A, single A, things like that. Like you can definitely have a long-term view that helps inform. So I think the main thing to to pull out is you have to look for the immovables. I think what's interesting is, and I want to get your take on this, but things are changing so quickly nowadays. Like mm-hmm. technology is changing so quickly. I think social media has done a lot to make us feel that change and perceive that change mm-hmm. more acutely than maybe we did in the past. But humans are are human. Like mm-hmm. the underlying human, I think, uh, the ways that our brains work, the ways that our psychology works, the the way that our survival mechanisms kick in, uh, those things will not change. Mm-hmm. So if you can find those things for you that are true North Stars, it will do a lot to help you get through those times where it isn't so easy or mm-hmm. where markets are being volatile. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think as far as like, getting those goalposts to stop moving are of the utmost importance, right? Because yeah. it helps you to stop overreacting, right? And like you said, you just said, uh, things are changing all the time. I mean, one of them, as we all know, kind of headlines, it's a fun headline, is the AIs and things like that. I know OpenAI, the people that are responsible for ChatGPT were just in the headlines. I'm not sure for what, but it's something. Anyway, regardless, they're at the front. Nothing, nothing about AI necessarily scares me because I know that people will always continue to be, it's just a tool. It's not going to, from what I understand, and I could be wrong, I hope there's not someone listening to me like, he's wrong. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, like, it's not necessarily going to create. Mm-hmm. Like, 
humans are still creating. It's just a tool to help us create faster. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? It's not, it's not like that wild of a, 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 of a shift. Like, again, the tool is changing, but underneath humans haven't. We're still creative. We're, we're still generating new things, right? We've just got new tools. Yeah, well, we have so, a lot of history of new technologies too. And yeah, what that exactly. typically does to markets, it, it creates new areas of growth. Yeah, it's, right? and a lot of the times, the, and this is, I think this is actually from Psychology Money, if I believe, the people that created the technology, even though they, they, do very well off that initial creation and that initial buy-in from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the people that utilize that tool in the long run that actually benefit the most from that tool yeah. or yeah. technology, right? It's not like the, the first guy. It's not the first guy. Like he he will he will make a good amount of money, not, not surprised, but like for the most part, the greatest impact is going to be from the people that use that tool very, very well. Like That's right. if you go back that to scale, the way yeah. canals and locks were made back in, I think England, like the guy that made them or, or came up with them was a great dude, but it, and did pretty well, but as a whole, the entire shipping industry just exploded, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's um, a platform, yeah. right? Yeah. AI is going to be a platform, much like, you know, Facebook's very valuable as a company, but mm-hmm. the value creation that Facebook has created via a way for small businesses, even like us, to be able to find our target market and advertise them efficiently. And all the businesses that have been built off of that platform mm-hmm. dwarfs the value of Facebook itself. Yeah. All right. So that's, and, and that's why people are, are, especially in Silicon Valley, try so hard to find those types of companies because yeah. those are the truly disruptive, truly transformational companies that, mm-hmm. yeah, they accrue a lot of the value themselves, but their real worth to society is the value creation they 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 yeah. allow to be built up on top of them, right? Yeah. Google's similar in that way too. Let's jump to a different topic, yeah. if you could, unless you had anything to add. No, on, it's just on more that. of like, even in all these changes, things, some things underlying are still the same, right? Like that's just Absolutely the overall point, true. right? Um, if Facebook's being created, we still want to build, we're not going to change yep talking to people might change how we talk to them, but we're still going to be jealousy, greed, whatever is still there. Right. So for us, I mean, if we want to use the Amazon example, right. Like for us, we've bet on certain things Mm -hmm. as a company, right. We've bet on the fact that people, no matter how good technology gets, no matter how, you know, there's articles written every day. Oh, AI is going to totally disrupt the financial industry. And I'm sure it will impact the financial industry. Mm-hmm. I'm not smart enough to tell you how. And the next topic we're going to talk about will explain one of the reasons why I can't tell you how. Mm-hmm. But we have bet on the fact that when people take their life's savings, like we appreciate the fact that that represents not just someone's future, like it's, it's their future of financial security, but it also represents the, the time and the effort and the energy it took to save it. So it's it's incredibly hard not to get emotional about it when it drops 10, 15, 20%. Like that's a scary thing. When you're when you're going on an adventure like that, you're gonna want some human to talk to. Like humans need to be seen, they need to be heard, and they need to be need to be they need to have that feeling of I'm someone has empathy for me. Someone knows what I'm going through and they see my, they see my, my hurt or my pain or my struggle and they are going to help me get through it. Mm -hmm. That's what we really bring to the table. Yes, we do a very good job building allocations and managing investments and all those things. But yeah, that can be disrupted. Mm -hmm. Like that's not really where the value of an advisor comes from. And Mm -hmm. we haven't bet on those things. Mm -hmm. We've bet on the longer term things that we know are always going to be true about human beings, which is it's scary to put all of your money to work. Mm -hmm. It's a scary thing. So I I think whether you're, you're talking about your personal life, your professional life, certainly your investing life and your financial life, keeping that long term view and trying to stay on a path that is ultimately aiming for 
that true North Star, that thing is not going to change, I think can only help you, yeah. right? And, yeah. and help you clear away some of the noise. I mean, that's yeah. always true. Yeah. And I could go off on it. I mean, even like building a family, there's a lot of that, you know, that, that could, could benefit you. That's for, that's for a different podcast. Um, yeah, okay. check out our other podcast, Family and Marriage. <laughs> Just kidding. No, <laughs> exactly. no, I'm not qualified. <laughs> um, okay. So the next topic we wanted to talk about a little bit, and I think the, the next two are kind of linked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, one of the things Morgan talks about is the way that markets were, and not even markets, he, he basically looks at history and just points out in a number of ways how tiny little differences in history. Mm-hmm. Like we we tend to, I think as humans, look at history and you could be looking at the market, you could be looking at war history, civilization, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Just looking at the past, we tend to look at the past as like this immutable like it was always going to happen that way. Like it was all, of course it went that way. It was yeah. always going to happen that way. It's like, yeah. no, no. Like history has turned on incredibly small moments, incredibly oh, chancy the moments. Like the wind. So yeah, yeah, let's just talk about it. So one, uh, why don't you talk us through this, that example? This I thought one it was brilliant. blew my mind and I didn't know this. And, um, and I'm sure Morgan did his research because obviously yeah. he needs to have. But yeah. in the Revolutionary War, Washington, they, I mean, if it was when Washington, if anyone's foreign and isn't from America, yeah. right? Washington in the beginning of the revolution wasn't doing well uh, and uh, was getting beat. The British had have had the best Navy at the time and the, Washington retreated up some river. I don't know what river the it was. Delaware. The, was it the Delaware? Okay. Retreated up the Delaware and all that the British needed to do was basically follow him up the river, pin him, and then take him out. We basically. were looking at our wounds at that point. Yeah, we and like we in were in a defensive position. Yeah, we, we would have we vulnerable. were SOL'd if they came up that river. Yeah. But because the wind was blowing a different direction the day, the British Navy couldn't go up the river and therefore yep. couldn't put it put our backs against the wall, right? So we were able to survive, rally, and win, basically. I don't know how that went. Yeah. And America, right? So it's kind of one of those things of and 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 again, you can't say for certain, but if the wind would have blown blown a different direction that day, America might not have existed, yep. right? Or the United States as we know it would yeah. might not have existed, which is just wild to think that like, oh, I didn't know the war was partially determined by the way the wind blew one yeah. day. Like that's so the other example he uses that's that's it's interesting just on its own because mm-hmm. I didn't know this. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew about the event, but I didn't know yeah. kind of the intricacies of it. So he talks about, for those of you that don't know, the Lusitania, a ship that was sunk by oh, yep. a German U-boat that effectively was the thing that pushed popular opinion in the U.S. Mm-hmm. to increase our participation in World War One. So the Lusitania, the day before, they had four boilers, which was what, it was a steamship, right? Yeah. So they had four boilers that helped the, the engine run and, and move the ship along. They decided the day prior to take the fourth boiler offline. This was during a time where the shipping industry and the and the cross-Atlantic industry mm-hmm. was really starting to struggle. And so they decided to take the fourth boiler offline. They'd go a little bit slower, but they would save a lot of money to be yeah. more efficient for the company. So they did that. Well, what that means is it brought them right in line with that U-boat. If they had kept that fourth boiler going, they mm. would have been through that zone where the U-boat was traveling like 24 hours ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they went slower brought them right line and on the heels of that, we all know, you know, the historical implications of of that event and what mm. that led to and how that's changed the world order, not only mm. geopolitically, but economically, all of those things. So it, it's little things like that where maybe if the Lusitania hadn't sank, maybe World War One never 
maybe World War One takes a very different path, which we all know maybe World War Two yeah. takes a very different path of World yeah. War One does. So it, it, it's just looking back at history, there's all these little moments where if it doesn't happen that way, the world looks very different. So now that it's one thing to make that observation about the past, and he gives a lot of examples, but I think what we should extrapolate from that is as it relates to us being confident about our predictions for the future. Yeah. Like it's very humbling to look back at those those events in history because no one would have made that prediction. Like yeah. to, to be able or also to, to make the connection. To, right? to, well, yeah. just to be able to factor that type of stuff in because you don't know. You, mm-hmm. you simply don't know. So when when you're looking at markets today as an investor going, well, rates are up. You know, there's mm-hmm. no way equities are going to do very well. We know bond prices are taking. I need to go to cash. I mean, this is a perfect example. Like equities are having a great year, or mm-hmm. a, a relatively great year, mm-hmm. given given the headwinds we're facing. Yeah. So just be very humble in mm-hmm. your confidence level when trying to map out the future. Like yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. We really have no idea. Mm-hmm. And anybody that does tell you, remember these stories. Remember those instances of history because they are everywhere. Even think in your own life. Mm-hmm. Like think about the moments in time where, you know, uh, you choose one major over another or you go to that party or you don't go to that party where you meet somebody you don't like your life can look so different. So oh, yeah. keep that in the forefront of your mind when it comes to the way that you relate with your money. Cause yeah. we, we do not know the future and your plan needs to have an acknowledgement of that fact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the quote that I love from this particular section of the book is like viewing events in isolation without any with, without an appreciation for their long roots helps explain everything from why forecasting is hard to why politics is nasty, right? It's yeah. just, if you don't understand how connected all these things are and how small, small changes like the the boat not running the fourth boiler can just change everything. It's like, it, it, it just, if you don't have that perspective, you don't understand how difficult, like you just said, forecasting right. can be. And so, which kind of goes into, I mean, unless you had much more on this, kind of moves into the next area, yep, right? Of absolutely. just like forecasting is impossible, right? Yep. Because we are very good at predicting the future, except for the surprises. And the surprises are the things that really only matter, that really move the needle, like you say. Yep. I mean, think about COVID. Did did anyone see that one coming? Yep. Uh, no. No. Um, what was the other one? 2022. Did anyone see? I mean, we saw Ukraine, Russia, Russia kind of coming. But well, like, he just used the example of yeah. the, the Economist, the magazine. Yeah, Every yeah, year yeah. they do like a what we see in the year ahead. And in those examples, their predictions for 2020 didn't include COVID. Their predictions for 2022 didn't include Russia, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I mean, these big and those things have in large parts defined those years, mm-hmm. you know, both geopolitically and from a in a large way, a market return perspective. Like yeah. they impacted things. Yeah. There's no way you could have planned for them. And yeah. he, he, he describes it in a way that it's like we were talking earlier. It's like I knew that, but I hadn't put it into that sequence of words. And, and it, it's just a clean, nice, elegant description. Yeah. And he said it was something effective. Risk is what's left over when you've planned for everything. For everything, yeah. right? Like it's those things that you can't plan for. Mm-hmm. And I think it, that's why it's related to that that fact before, because accepting that becomes easier once you acknowledge how much history can change in a moment. On mm-hmm. a relatively small event, that butterfly effect, that chain effect, mm-hmm. is so strong that you really shouldn't ever feel entirely comfortable that you've accounted for everything. Yeah. Because we don't know everything. I mean, there's yeah. too much they can't. You can assess all the risks, 
But then there's the next moment. Yeah. The one, yeah, that next moment, the one thing that, that matters is the next moment that you don't the know. The next moment, yeah, right. Yeah. It's always the next moment. Like yeah. we, even if we were able to have a full accounting of every risk up to this exact moment, the next moment's going to happen and the mm -hmm. next moment's going to happen. And there's mm -hmm. no way that we can, we can unwind that and figure out what that's going to be. And even if we could, we don't know how people are going to respond to that. Like yeah. it, it, it's too difficult. So what that means for us as investors is your plan cannot be based on, on projections. It yeah. can't be based on what we think might happen because there's too many instances in, the, in history where we've seen that we had no idea. Yeah. We, the best people in the world, is, I'm sure the economists, is a lot of smart people on staff, yeah. people that are well-versed and well-studied. Yeah. How would they know? Literally no one, when, and this is going back in, into what, the 19, 1929? Yeah, mm -hmm. no one predicted the depression. Not one, not a single yep. historian or an economic historian or whatever. Um, predicted the depression. I think one That's guy, right. this famous quote is, is some really smart economist. I can't remember his name, but he's like, stocks have plateaued at an all time high and they've just, they're, they're not going to go down. And then right. like, <laughs> right, and, right, right. and then boom. Uh, right. So it's just like, you, you can't, no one built that into their models or no one built that into their predictions. And so that's why it's so dangerous to base your in investment strategy off of like very stringent predictions or very stringent uh, forecast. Yep. Uh, you got to kind of, you you want to, I mean, base it off your kind of your time horizon and things like that you, that you kind of know or, or have right. a relative idea of what they're going to be. And even then your time horizon can change. That's right. Um, but you, that's why you kind of have a little bit of, of of leeway with that. You have a little bit of, okay, maybe I'll put a little bit more in fixed income just because I don't know my time horizon for sure, but I'm yep. pretty confident in it. But so again, this is but like, even then, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, no, I was just going to say, like, I think a really practical way we could show this, right? Like yeah. we, we uh, over the years, I've worked with a lot of different types of people, which is one of the fun things about the job. But there's a certain type of investor out there who they they see the merits in the data. Like they see that, you know, an approach based off these types of, of acknowledgements, one that would be, let's say, broadly indexed, broadly diversified, and a long-term focus, which is, I would argue, an ideal investment strategy for most people. You have this subset of people that see that and they want to do it, mm -hmm. but they haven't totally mastered that other part of their brain that goes, yeah, but like, this is so obvious. Like, I see this thing happening yeah. right now. Like, this guy's going to win the election or this thing's going to happen. Like, what mm -hmm. if we just did this? I could capture this, blah, blah, blah. So what they tend to do, I try to game that system where they go from, it's an indexed, low-cost, diversified portfolio, but they they take one that's in one kind of risk profile or stance, should we say, and they try to dial up that risk, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not getting fully in out of the market or fully out of the market. They're not changing strategies wholeheartedly, but they're still adjusting their amount of risk based on their projections. And sometimes they don't even know they're doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll find another reason for, hey, you know, I, I know I've been 50% equity. I want to be 80% equity because blah, blah, blah. But really what they really want to do is just they're not happy with their return over a certain amount of time, mm. that usually the recent period of time, and mm -hmm. they want better returns, they take on more risk, which is like the worst reason to take yeah. on more risk in your portfolio. Which is like you said in the beginning, like you're, you're, you're basing your decisions based off the value of your portfolio, right? You're basing your decisions based on the value of your portfolio, and yeah. you're basing your decisions based on like what's happening right now. Yeah. And, and, and the discomfort associated with that. When in reality, what you should do is, and he, Morgan quotes in this book, a guy by the name of Nassim Taleb, he said, yeah. invest in preparedness, not in predictions. Yeah, It's a conversation we have a lot, which is, hey, we're in this portfolio right now because 
solely because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. If we knew what was going to happen, I'd have you in the five best performing stocks mm-hmm. from, from trough to peak. And then a day before the peak, I'd get you out in cash. We'd mm-hmm. watch the market trickle down. Like there'd be no need for diversification. There'd be yeah. no need for 10,000 different stocks in your portfolio if we yeah. knew what was going to happen. The whole reason you're diversified in the first place is that is a baked-in acknowledgement that we have no idea. What's mm-hmm. going to happen? So when you're in that volatile period, or even if things are sky high, stay steady. Like mm-hmm. stay steady because again, that next moment's going to come. Yeah. And so if you try to optimize for the moment you're in now, that mm-hmm. moment's going to change. Yeah. That no, mo- I- the, if we know anything, that moment's going to change, and that's exciting, and it brings a lot of, you know, conversation and, and introspection. We we like to read about that change as it's happening because it excites us as humans. But to try to adjust for that change on a repeated basis, you're never going to be right there because the moment's always changing and new information's always being priced in. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, like you said, in, in that moment when it's like things are at an all, or your, your portfolio is at a high, like in that moment, just just stay there. Like, appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that it's at an all-time high. Don't get That's mad right. that you're not higher That's or frustrated right. or whatever. Um, and, oh, and, I mean, what, kinda, a, what a dovetail. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know what I'm saying? Our next topic. but But... In all seriousness, no, like appreciate that it's at a high right now, right? Get those goalposts to stop moving, which is one of the the most difficult things, I will say. It is absolutely one of the most difficult things because you say like, you see your portfolio high and like, well, it could be higher and we could do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like just appreciate it. But remember the plan that you started out with, right? We we knew these highs were going to come. We knew these things were were probably going to hit. But we also know that there's going to be a downside. Like you said in the very beginning, like, because markets go up, they also tend to go down sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But over the long run, if you look at the graph, it goes up. Um, well, the analogy I use right. with yeah. people literally all the time is, to some degree, being an investor, it's like getting on a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. And if you get on that roller coaster, it is your fault if you're shocked, if at some point you're inverted. <laughs> yeah. Like if at some point your feet are above your head, like that's uh, that's your fault for being surprised by that. Yeah. That's the nature of the roller coaster. Yeah. It's, we knew getting on it, Mm-hmm. Then at some point we were going to be upside down. Like yeah. we just knew. Same thing in the market. We know on day one, you're going to have one year periods, two year periods, maybe even three year periods of negative returns. Like that's mm-hmm. just part and parcel of the experience. Yeah. There is no way to have a positive return over time without having smaller periods of time where you have negative returns. Yeah. So a failure to appreciate that or understand that going in, like that's either bad coaching by the advisor or mm-hmm. it's it's a lack of education on the part of, you know, I'd say ignorance on the part of the investor. Yeah. But again, it just gets back to all these concepts, having a mastery of them so that when you encounter a given cycle or a given event or a given moment, you have the mental resources and acuity to be able to pull out these concepts at the right time to yeah. give yourself that coaching. Yeah. To go, you know what? I get it. Like, I, I've been here before. I know that it looks like, you know, we're all about to go to World War Three, but... There's been a lot of periods of high tension. Like, mm-hmm. do we remember the Cuban Missile Crisis? Do we remember, like, all these different things that have happened in history where there were high tension moments where it didn't actually bubble up? Actually, very rarely does it bubble into a World War III, even mm-hmm. though I've heard that phrase from clients probably 10 times this year. Yeah. Like, that's not the most likely outcome. So if, if you can just learn these concepts and ingest them and truly internalize them, you will be so much better armed mm-hmm. to get through whatever you need to get through and actually yeah. have better than market returns. Yeah, absolutely. That's your best bet. Bring us to our next one. I think this might be um, my, arguably my favorite one. Yeah, and I think, I, and, and um, again, related. Yeah, related. But basically, like we, like we just said, like when those, when those market highs hit, 
be happy about it, right? Don't have your expectations of it could have been higher, so I'm now mad, right? That is, right, that right there, getting your goalposts to stop and not setting your expectations super high, so to speak, and which is what you're in control of, right? Your expectations are something that you control. Yep will help you be more satisfied, help you be happier overall, right? One of the biggest things that controls our happiness is our level of expectations. Wow, there was that guy in Africa that I think had like over a trillion back, way back in the day. Oh, man, man. Oh, uh, I don't know. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Richest American. Regardless, yeah, <laughs> modern, modern day. Yeah. Plenty, plenty of money, this guy. <laughs> you, you could look at it one of two ways. You could look at it and say, he was the richest man ever. He, he had everything he could ever want, but he didn't have antibiotics. He didn't have pain relief. He didn't have all types of modern. Yeah, not just niceties. like not like not like oxycontin or something like that. Advil. Yeah. How often do you take Advil, Advil on like a monthly basis? Didn't have modern dental care, so you know yeah. there's a lot of pain there. Didn't have you know modern transportation. Didn't have private jets. Mm-hmm. All this stuff that someone living in the 1990s, 2000, 2010s, you have all that stuff. Maybe not the private jets, but you have antibiotics. You have healthcare for the most part. Does that mean that the person in modern times, like? this year is by default happier than Rockefeller? And the answer is no. Like people have not gotten demonstrably happier over time, even though by almost every metric we're better off. And Mm -hmm. I know that it doesn't feel that way in this day and age based on how the media covers things. But I mean, Morgan walks through it. Median household income, I think, is almost doubled mm-hmm. on an inflation-adjusted basis. Went from like 30000 to like 70000 yeah. I think. So the, yeah. the average family today is, even adjusted for inflation, is making much more money than they were in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's the example of, um, it costs like 29% of the average uh, household budget for food as opposed to 13% now. That's a, that's, a, that's huge. So we have more yeah. free cash flow, more disposable income. All these things are true. The problem is... There is a little bit wider gap, right, Mm -hmm. to your point. So the people that did better than you didn't do as much better than you. Mm -hmm. And as humans, especially humans that live in America, we tend to only look at the people doing better than us. Mm -hmm. And because there is a smaller number of people doing a little bit better than than they used to be doing in the past, we look at that and say, oh, well, that's not fair. I'm not doing well. And it makes us feel bad, Mm -hmm. even though by almost every metric, I I can't say that I have anybody in my life that doesn't have their basic essential needs met, truly. Mm-hmm. And maybe that says something about I need to broaden my scope a little bit in terms of who I interface with, mm-hmm. but truly, like, at the very least, they have enough food in their bellies and mm-hmm. shelter over their head. Yeah, That's, for most of human history, that's a rarity. Oh, yeah. But again, and, and he kind of drives to something that we talk about a lot here, which is, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but like social media is so damaging in this way because we're constantly, not only do we come across it in our day-to-day lives, we are selecting an experience that is designed specifically to show us how much we don't have. Yeah, literally it's, I think the quote is, we don't communicate on social media, we perform on social media. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like we're literally choosing to expose ourselves to this. Our brains are wired to not, like that. We're not going to like looking at someone else showing us the best and the brightest moments of their life, Mm -hmm. oftentimes fakely. Yeah. It's not even real. A little airbrushed, yeah. Airbrushed. I'm making a joke. Very dramatically airbrushed usually. Fake cars that they're renting, not driving, like all this stuff. And it makes us feel really bad about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And and it just brings our our overall level of life satisfaction down. Mm -hmm. So I think the hack, the cheat code is mindfulness. It's perspective. It is you could call it meditation, whatever whatever it is for you. It is keeping in the forefront of your mind 
the good things that you have mm-hmm. and what you're guaranteed versus not guaranteed. And that, that attitude of, of, of gratefulness, I think yeah. will go a long way. And I mean, obviously I don't think it's, it's hard to say as it relates to markets and being an investor, it will put you in a better position to not chase returns, mm-hmm. which is something that is very common. Like you, we see it all the time. You talk to a buddy at the golf course or at church or whatever. And, mm-hmm. oh, they got 18% this year. It's like, okay, well, first of all, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I don't see any hard data mm-hmm. here, but even if they did, good for him. But I assure you, there is no free lunch. So he's taking more risk than you are yeah. to get it. So it, it is What was just, his 2022 return, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what is 2022? What does 2020 look like? Yeah. And again, it's just that idea of don't compare yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. You're on your path. Yeah. You're, you're building your life. Yeah. You're not guaranteed anything. This is not a, you know, this is not an equal opportunity thing here. Like we want everyone to have a shot, but we know there's it's a range of outcome. outcomes. There's yeah, a, it's we would equal. love equal opportunity. Of course. Which is great. But we cannot have equal outcomes. It's never going to be that way. That's just, this is evidence-based in my Mm -hmm. own experience. Life is not fair. And that's even 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 inside a household, right? You can't tell me like two sisters born of the same parents are the exact same person. I have twin girls. I can tell you they're not. Yeah, exactly. They, they like one might have a learning disability. The other one didn't. Yeah. Did they have the same opportunity? No. That's right. You know, but so, yeah, even though they're born from the same family. Right. Yeah. And I think this is where societally we've just done a really bad job at least with these younger generations, raising them in a way to to prioritize that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hopeful that we'll learn. I'm hopeful that we'll see, like, I'm a younger parent. I have friends with, with relatively young kids, and there is an acknowledgement in my community, at least, that maybe the social media thing is not great, and we're mm-hmm. taking big steps to, yeah. to protect our kids from it, at least until a very, like, I'm talking maybe at 18, yeah. like, I'll it know, is, open that door. Especially for young girls. I think the stat right I now think is, it's like, incredibly it is dangerous. overwhelmingly dangerous for... I mean, it's dangerous for everyone. Dude, but like, it's dangerous for me as yeah, a 35-year-old yeah. man. It's dangerous. Yeah. Like, I'll sit there and I've got everything I need in the world. I've mm-hmm. got nothing to complain about to anybody. And I'll yeah. still be like, oh, man. Like, I'm a truck guy, right? I like trucks. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's got that new F-250 King Ranch. That sure mm-hmm. would be nice. You know, like, oh. <laughs> and it, it's yeah. just a way to eat away at your gratitude, eat yeah. away at your perspective. And we are more susceptible to this than any state of human existence has ever been. And yeah, it's dangerous. We, it's all, it's coming at us. From everywhere. It's right? dangerous. Yeah. We see it with with fear, right? Mm-hmm. It's contagious. We see it with, we see every negative event that happens in the world at every moment. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really helpful, it can't be mentioned enough. And I think, you know, the, the data and why you need to read the book is he he gives you data points that prove that we're better off, but we don't mm-hmm. feel better off. Yeah. Right. And, and one thing too, that kind of coming back to an advisor, or like from a, an investor slash advisor standpoint is some people like, let's say they're in a, an allocation of 50-50 mm-hmm. and they're upset with their performance. Kind of like you said, that guy chasing returns wants to go higher and is higher in his exposure to equities, right? So a little bit more risk, but hopefully he can get more returns. But let's say he has a 50-50 and he's upset by his return because he's comparing it to the, the S&P 500. Well, has his 50-50 accomplished his original goal? Then you're doing great. But That's now right. the moment you've, you've, compared it against the S&P 500, which was not your original goal, right. it, you're now frustrated, right? And so I, we've seen that several times. It's like, well, this sock or this fund is doing this great. And it's like, yeah, but yeah. have we met your goals? Yep. Well, yeah. Yep. Okay. 
Like let's let's reevaluate something that you are in control of, which is your expectations. We are not control of the circumstances. We are not contro- in control of of the outcomes necessary, especially in the market. But we are in control of our expectations. We are in control of our asset allocation exposure, mm-hmm. um, and we're in control of our own goals. Yeah, right? we're, so we're just ultimately in charge of the decisions we make. Yeah, exactly. And we're also in like we're, we, therefore we are partially responsible for the consequences of those. Another way you could contextualize this book. He's deconstructing biases. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's what he's doing. Yeah. He's, he's showing you like that, the way he talks about risk, like that selection bias, right? Like mm-hmm. we're all, we're all favorable to the set of variables I'm looking at. These mm-hmm. are the ones that matter because they're the ones I've analyzed. Yeah. Like, well, but you don't know what the weather's going to do on their side of the world next yeah. year. That's going to impact markets more than anything you're doing. So yeah. it, it's, it's a way to deconstruct some of these things that we're all victim to. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if you'll spend the time, the effort, and the energy into educating yourself on these, into mm-hmm. reading, it will come back up when it matters. I'm telling yeah. you, it's how the brain works. You yeah. will retain some of it and it will come back up at times where it matters. And it'll make you a more efficient investor. I'm telling yeah. you, this is where we spend all of our time and energy with our clients because it's 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 where the it's where the lowest hanging fruit is. I mean, mm-hmm. could you optimize a portfolio for you know half of a basis point better performance? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But a diversified portfolio, it's it's more chances than anything. Like you're mm-hmm. riding the wave of the market in general. You're, it's going to go in the direction of the market, and the mm-hmm. market goes up over time. Whether you're in the perfect part of that market where the highest growth is, there's no way to know that. Mm-hmm. So trying to to what we would call, you know twiddle the bits of your portfolio. We do it because it's our job to, but it's not if I was a betting man where I would put, that's not where your gains as an investor are going to come from. Your yeah. gains as an investor are going to come from working on your own self. Yeah. And working your, own, your mindsets. Yeah. Working on your mindset and your discipline. Yeah. yeah. That's where the gains are to be made. And if you haven't had success in the past, look at why. Like, mm-hmm. look at the types of decisions you've been did making. Did you panic and pull out before November? Because if you did, that's this right. year particularly, like, you missed a huge market that's in November. Right. Yeah. I literally had a client had that conversation yesterday. Actually, if you so. missed the 13th of November. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a yeah. 5% day. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I could rail about this stuff forever because I'm so yeah. passionate about it because <laughs> it's, it's it, I just see it. I, 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 I'm like a doctor that sits in front of sick patients all the time. And it's like, if you could just like just yeah. do this one thing, like this one thing would fix all your problems. It's like, I'm so passionate <laughs> about getting that message across. Yeah. And, and that's the fun part of this job is that a lot of the time they do. Yeah. They do get better and they do learn and you see that growth over time. And mm-hmm. that's what's so fun about this job. But I can't sit and enjoy that. I'm I mm-hmm. I'm worried about the next client that's, yeah. that's struggling with these things. We got to get them better so they can have a better outcome. Yeah. Right. That's our focus. And I think anybody that reads this, no matter your it doesn't matter. You could be a PhD level finance guy. You could be an eighth grader. You will benefit from from reading this book. I do not have kids yet, but there's so many books I'm building up. Of like, oh, yeah. If they can read this before they leave high school, yeah. I will be And I'll, I'll throw this out too. I didn't know this, but you let me know. If if you subscribe to Spotify, if you have a Spotify premium account, oh, yep. the audio book is on there. Um, for free. Yep, for free. Part I think of your you subscription. 15 hours a month. So it's yep. a five-hour listen yep. from what I understand. And so and it goes can, down smooth too. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I know that, so we've barely covered like maybe the first five chapters. <laughs> There's 20, I think 22 or 23. Yeah. I, we may or may not do like a specific part two or part three review to this, but we mm-hmm. will definitely be circling back and highlighting more concepts from this book yeah, in particular. Absolutely. And they might is, be sprinkled in too. Our, our pipe dream is we'd love to get Morgan on the pod. If you're listening. Yeah. If, if you happen to come across yeah. this, Morgan, please, <laughs> we'd love to interview. He's, 
he's right in line with everything we're about, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and he talks about it so elegantly and, and eloquently. We're glad he's here. Actually, one of the stories real quick that he talks about in this book that was fascinating, he, he talks about how things can change very quickly. He talks about it in his own life. He grew up in... Um, Colorado? No. Um, uh, Big Sky? Uh, no. no. Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe. He was a competitive skier, uh, like speed skiing. Like really good. Like he traveled. Yeah, like all over the world. Yeah. Um, and, as you do if you grew up in, in Lake Tahoe, I suppose. <laughs> and he said they had an off day one day because they weren't practicing. They had a lot of snow. Heavy snow, which he is crucial. He said heavy snow, but on top of light snow, which he said is dangerous. And he mm -hmm. said he and his two buddies, and they're expert skiers, so they're not worried about, you know, where they go on the mountain. They said there was this really cool run that was kind of in the roped off area on the back side of the yeah. mountain where there weren't any lifts. Mm -hmm. Said they would always ski it on off days, and then they would ski down to the road and hitchhike back to their locker room. Mm -hmm. So he and his two buddies go ski down this run one time. And he said the first time he went down it, the snow moved a little bit on him. Was like, it was little, almost like a mini avalanche, avalanche yeah. that he felt. And and it just kind of, because he said basically what had happened based on the weather was you had a layer of really soft, loose snow yeah. sitting just beneath a, a layer of really heavy snow. And he said, obviously that heavy snow, it doesn't have a good foundation. So it's, yeah. it's loose. And he said, they got down to the bottom and they went back around and he said, his buddies were like, hey, let's go do it one more time. And what I found most interesting was he acknowledged, it wasn't like he had a realization in that moment that, oh, that's dangerous. That could have mm -hmm. gone really bad. That's not smart. I'm not going to do it. He doesn't even know why he chose not yeah. to do it. He just said that he said no. He's like, no, thanks. I'm just going to chill. And I'll come pick you guys and up I'll, instead he, of having He, he said, I'll yeah. come pick you guys up at the bottom so you don't have to hitchhike. I'll drive around and pick you guys up at the road. And said he went and drove. They didn't show up. Long story short, both of his buddies died on that yeah. next run. They were buried in an avalanche. They the way he said that the the paramedics or the rescue team said it was like it was like half the mountain cleaved. Yeah, and it yeah obviously they, they yeah. didn't make it. Yeah, um, and he was a teenager when this all yeah. happened, so and that's he, a pretty scarring experience. But yeah. his whole life could have changed in that moment, like that it one. There would have been no exactly more. Yeah. like that yeah. one decision that he made that he can't even tell you why he made it. It mm -hmm. wasn't like in the moment he realized the gravity of the situation. He was just kind of done for the day. Yeah. Man, what a story. So obviously heartbreaking in a lot of ways, but he's yeah. uh, he's made good on on his second chance, you could say, and, yeah. and and sharing a lot of this knowledge. So grateful to him. Joey, grateful to you for being here. Yeah. Uh, grateful to Appreciate Renee you. for all the work you do. Um, and thank you guys for listening. We love doing it. So keep listening and let us know if there's anything we can talk about that you guys would like to hear. Yeah, appreciate it, y'all. All right, see you next time. If you have any questions for Adam or Janet concerning this topic or anything else, please visit us at our home on the web, assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every episode.